Hello and welcome to Level Up and Friends, uh, where those of us from the store Level Up Entertainment gather a couple of friends and we talk about subjects we're passionate about. Um, hey, it's our first uh, duplicate topic episode. We're going back to the Star Trek well, but this time we're going to dig a little bit into uh, my favorite Star Trek show, Deep Space Nine. Um, and this, you know, so this week I'm your host. My name is Scott. And with me, I've got uh, Michael. Nice to meet you all. And you have Jasper. <laughs> and I'm Matt, even though it, uh, those of you who are seeing the web version are seeing Mr. Hedge because I'm a teacher and uh, I forgot to change my name. <laughs> well, you can still change your name. There's, there's no... Uh, They've no seen it already. They should be calling me Mr. Hedge if they see me in public, just to avoid confusion. There are fair a lot enough. of masks out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're here to talk about Deep Space Nine, you know, one of the Star Trek shows from the 90s. Um, ran concurrently with, uh, with not concur- well, like it started after season four of TNG. Um, yep. And then once TNG was over, then Voyager started. So it ran alongside both of those shows. Yeah, um, I-, <laughs> so I know after TNG ended in season four of this show, uh, Michael Dorn and Worf were free. So they joined the cast in this. But um, before we get too deep into, into the later seasons of this show, I think we should talk a little bit about why we, we like the show so much and why it's so enduring. Um, I know I've mentioned either on our other Star Trek po- episodes of the show or on our, our friends' show, Hailing Frequencies and Next Generation podcast, I've mentioned why I like Star Trek so much. For me, it's strong characters um, that usually have to deal with some sort of like ethical or philosophical uh, issue of the week. Um, and Deep Space Nine is almost entirely just about that. Um, and because it's serialized instead of episodic, unlike most ep- uh, series of Star Trek, the character is able to grow and change and like the status quo can shift radically um, from season to season or episode to episode. Um, and to me, I, that becomes much more compelling television. I think this makes this show much more bingeable in a modern sense. Um, versus like TNG, like I'll watch a couple episodes if I feel like it, but usually I'll watch like one at a time. Um, but that's in a nutshell why Deep Space Nine works for me. I'll throw it to my guests here um, to see who wants uh, to see why it works for them. Um, so whoever wants to go first, just jump right in. Uh, I, I would agree with you on the, on the benchability. One of the things I find about Deep Space Nine um, is that it is the hardest show for me to just watch one episode of. If I'm going to watch an episode of Star Trek, I will grab an episode of TNG or I'll grab an episode of Voyager. <clears throat> for Deep Space Nine, because it has so many good, subtle arcs, I'll turn on a, I'll put on a random episode and I'll go, wait, wait what's going on with Dr. Bashir at this point? What, what's going on? I have to try and resituate myself. So, but I think it's, it it combines the two best elements of Star Trek, which is, of course, incredibly strong and well-developed characters with a world that presents them with a strong ethical dilemma. Um, one of the things I say about Deep Space Nine is in The Next Generation and in Voyager, they go to a planet, they find a problem on that planet, and then they move on. Where as Star Trek, uh, Deep Space Nine, they get the, Bajor is the planet they have visited, and that's it. 
They are going to deal with Bajor and Bajoran issues, and you're going to get to know that planet and that culture and what they've been through and their relationship with other powers and their relationship with the Federation, and it allows you to dig deeper into a, 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 a culture, a political system, a religious system, far more than we've ever been able to dig into a Star Trek race before. And I think that's one of the most admirable or most recommendable things about the show uh, from a Star Trek perspective. Uh, Wes, you want to go? Yeah, I mean, both of you uh, just summed it up. I mean, my feelings are the same. It was, um, it, it. you can't definitely watch just one. Uh, you find yourself like binging, multiple episodes, like uh, the past couple of weeks preparing for this, because I haven't actually sat down and watched Deep Space Nine in quite some time. And I just wanted to get a quick refresher. And I was like, okay, I'll just watch this one episode. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I'll watch the second episode. And then I just, it, it reminded me how much the characters grew from episode one uh, until, until later in the show. And, and I think that's one of the things that uh, kind of drew me to the show, because it starts off it wasn't your typical star trek show so i was like okay this is this is kind of different and it just took off from there and mike how about you yeah i i agree i just to expand on one of the points that um matt and wes are making um i i think it's fantastic because if you're a fan of star trek and you're a fan of the next generation the next generation is a very episodic it, it follows almost the way that the iliad and the odyssey do where they go from port to port to port um solving things deep space nine if you're interested in like world building will really get into the geopolitical nature of the Federation, what's going on, what the Federation's interactions with the Klingons are, with the Cardassians, with the Romulans, how they approach um, uh, uh, new people coming in. But like I said, that is a, uh, a double-edged sword because it will take very deep dives. And I, I completely agree with what they said. It's very hard to watch just one. And there are one-off shows. It, it's, it's very similar to the X-Files in the way that there is a meta plot, but there are also just um, episodes that you can watch um, that are sprinkled in there. But it does give you kind of like that um, that deeper dive into what is happening um, in the Federation. So it really fleshes out the world building that you can't just get from, you know, watching one instance of a journey of one specific ship. Mm -hmm. So here's a question I have for the group um, that I'm not sure if I can answer. Um, do you need to have already been to be a Star Trek fan to watch the show? I definitely think you're rewarded for knowing like the, who the Klingons and some of those things are because you're right. It does deal with a lot of the different cultures and things that have already been set up. But like for me, it's kind of impossible for me to take that out because I watched it after being into the other Star Trek shows. I don't know. I think, I think you could pick this up uh, uh, fresh. I think they do enough ground laying um, for most things. There are some episodes with where things from TNG come in where you would be a little bit lost. Um, there is uh, um, uh, uh, there's, there is a singular Q episode of Deep Space Nine which ends yeah. in a very surprising way. But I feel like if you weren't a TNG fan, that episode wouldn't 
hit for you at all. Um, you might be a little confused about what's going on in the very beginning of the first episode if you weren't a Star Trek fan. But other than that, it, it moves into its own world. I think it's richer if you have a Star Trek background, but I don't think you need a Star Trek background to start watching DS9. Yeah, I mean, the analogy that I used um, before, you know, when we were just talking is, it, for me, it's very similar to um, The Empire Strikes Back, which everybody says is one of the best uh, Star Wars movies. And, and I would agree, it probably is the best, but like, it doesn't, it can't stand on its own because it doesn't begin a plot and it doesn't necessarily end a plot. I feel like Deep Space Nine, while it certainly, you know, has its own plot and w which it sees from start to finish, um, I think it does very much um, rely upon, you know, a familiarity with the universe. But having that been said, I feel like Star Trek is so, um, is so well known that it's very hard to not know what a Vulcan is and what a Klingon is and things like that. So I, I, I think you can get caught up to speed very quickly just by watching the first couple of episodes, because particularly the pilot is very um, explainy. Yeah, I would say. so the the pilot does catch you up pretty quick. Yeah, okay. it, it um, definitely it stands it stands on its own. Like everybody else said, it's if you have some Star Trek background, even just a little bit, the first episode brings you up to speed. You know, later on in the show, you know, it it gives you more a sense of okay, th this who this person is. But it definitely stands on its own. So no, you don't need to watch. You know the original or TNG, and and, and still love Deep Space Nine. I was uh, rewatching yeah. it in preparation for this podcast because, um, full disclosure, we decided to do this a while ago. So I, we've, I've had a couple of weeks to to kind of skim up, skim back over the show. There is a lot of references to TNG specific uh, moments, especially because um, the chief of operations on the Deep Space Nine station used to be right. the chief transporter chief uh, on the the Enterprise. So, like, he occasionally does mention to, like, other characters, like, you know, remember that Barkley guy, which is not necessarily something you need. It's kind of like little one-off comments. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't need to know who that is, but it's neat to, like, if you've watched TMG, you know what they're talking about. Um, but I don't, I don't think you necessarily need to, but, like, like I said, they won't go into detail about how, like, Klingon society works, for example, but they will be used a lot in, in Deep Space Nine over the course of the seven seasons. That, that is a good point, knowing the because there's, there's a lot of Klingon political stuff in Next Generation. Some of the, some of the great episodes in the latter run of the show are, are Klingon political stuff, uh, you know, Arbiters of Succession and all that. Um, that's not a spoiler. It's just random words. Uh, yeah. um, the, uh, uh, but, so having that would probably be useful. And, um, uh, when Wes mentioned the, the original series, uh, I would I would be very interested to see someone who has never seen another Star Trek show watch one very specific episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, <laughs> and from from look on Wes's face and Mike's face, they know what I'm talking about. Um, to see how far they track into it, because um, I think that they, that they do a decent job of explaining within episodes that deal with other series, the basics. I think you can grasp the relationships. I think that they're that, that it's written in an incredibly competent style like that. Um, 
but there's that there's one very specific episode where I I I, I feel like there that episode requires homework because it is a it, it is a it is a love letter to an earlier episode of the program. Um, I, I think I know which episode you're talking about. The, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, you gotta love that 23rd century design. Um, I, I was wondering if that episode would would come up today. Um, and you know, obviously, we're not going to go episode by episode, but we we could probably spend two hours discussing. Uh, probably, that I, I have some strong faith with us. If it's the episode you're thinking of, it leads me to a point about the show because the show deals is mostly relatively dark and serious. But there yeah. is a decent number of really lighthearted episodes. And if this yeah. episode I think we're thinking of, it's probably the most, well, maybe not the most lighthearted episode because there's an episode where they play baseball. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I was going to say it's the most lighthearted episode that doesn't star the Ferengi. Yeah. Uh, so Little Green Men. Um, and again, yeah. if I just say episodes, I'm probably not. Episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little yeah, we can say episode names all day long. Um, take me out to the hollow deck, and of course, the episode that Matt is uh, saying is trials and tribulations. All of yeah. which I have, which, and this is actually one of the things I do like about the show um, is like it does have that element of camp to it, which was part yeah. of the original series. It was supposed to be a little bit fun, and it doesn't necessarily you know, take itself too seriously. It does acknowledge the fact that, hey, at the end of the day, this is a TV show. Just, just <laughs> so you don't know. Yeah. There, there are certain things, yeah, there's certain yeah. things that pop up where I'm like, all right, it's because it's a TV show. Like, yeah. There's a sister station uh, to Deep Space Nine called Terak Noor. And I'm like, the only reason they ever set things here is because they already got the set. So yeah, like, exactly. All right, I, I get it. Um, but the establishing scene is sideways. So you know it's a different place. Yeah, it's a different place. And it makes sense. All right, so I guess this goes a little bit into the premise of the show. So, yeah, but then we also have that uh, My Man Bashir episode, the James Bond spoon. That's yeah. another one. Yeah. I, that was the first episode I rewatched when I knew we were going to do this. <laughs> I, have a, I have a great fondness uh, for that, for that the, where they, they do a whole holodeck, spoofy uh, uh, James Bond episode. It's great. It's that a great episode great. of TV. That is um, also one of the ones I rewatched, and I'm 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 a little annoyed. I forgot to say our man Bashir, which is our man, our man Bashir is a great episode of of that show, especially mm-hmm. because I mean we'll, we'll we'll get into characters I imagine in a bit, but yeah, yeah. um yeah there there's some there's some extraordinarily fun light episodes uh, yes. despite the fact that it has perhaps the oh. some of the darkest things in any Star Trek show happen in. D Space Nine. Well, oh, hold on. While we're on the episode, yeah. while we're on the topic of camp, what, what was that one episode where they all basically get stuck doing the Macarena for like the entire episode? Are you thinking about Alan Moraine? Alan Moraine. Alan Moraine. Oh God, I yeah. hate yeah. that. Move along home is the name of that episode. <laughs> yeah. Move, Move along, along home. There's Move along home. Camp episode. That's a first season episode. I will say the so the first season of every Star Trek show is its worst season. Um, so that so there is a little bit of a learning curve with, with Deep Space Nine as there is with any Star Trek. Um, I will say this first season is probably better overall than like say like the Next Generation's first season or Voyager's first season. Um, I will say I think for Deep Space Nine and comparing it a little more directly to TNG, I would say it's it's it reaches higher heights and its lows mm-hmm. I think are higher than TNG's lows. Yeah, I think uh, I'm Move Along Home 
has a reputation as being one of the worst episodes of Deep Space Nine. And I'm like, that's a that's a middle range season two episode of TNG. Yeah, but like because <laughs> that it's, it's not that bad. Movie, it's in, it's like seems so much worse in comparison. Right, especially uh, just a couple episodes after that, they have um, duet, which I think is one of the best episodes in the entire run of the show. Um, which you know, which well, I'm sorry, what? That's a big statement. Oh, I listen. I'm I'm I am a big defender of uh, of that is a. Of, of that episode of Eamon Maritza uh, that I mean and that's an episode that floats entirely on a guest character and sort of unfair to talk about in 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 reference to this but it's one of the few episodes you can sort of pluck out of order and be like here's a character study um, which I think they do a lot of really good character study episodes on Deep Space Nine which makes it all, again a little bit different um, or rather they do more character study episodes on Deep Space Nine, which makes it a little bit different yeah, than the other the, Trek episodes. Less because of the yeah. serialized nature of it. They're yeah. actually able to, they're not, they're, that's, this show's really not, like TNG's more or less meant that you can kind of jump in and out whenever, like for syndication and whatnot. Deep Space Nine, uh, right, like you have to go episode by episode, more yeah. or less. Yeah, I, I, I will question. say, what's oh, up? Yeah, yeah, not, not to kind of go too far off topic, but just rewatching this, you know, the pilot episode, you know, I, it was a great handoff from TNG. But watching it, I'm like, did anybody else get the get the, the whole V'ger vibe? Yeah. <laughs> or was it just me? Yeah. Yeah. I got, yeah, a no, no, I got it. Yeah. People yeah. who don't know what we're talking about, V'ger is the uh, reference to the first uh, Star Trek promotion picture, the first movie, um, which we did a whole episode on for, uh, I was on that episode for Healing Frequencies because no one else wanted to. Um, if you want to know like a blow by blow um i'll link that in the description um, um but uh yeah i can see that a little bit with the the wormhole stuff which i guess leads us a little bit we should probably explain the premise of the show a little bit um so deep space nine instead of star trek you know being going it being on a starship and going where no man's gone before uh you know seeking out new life forms and whatnot it takes place on a space station called deep space nine um it was so it's uh, it's owned by a, a, a race called the Bajorans. They live, you know, it's it's orbiting their planet Bajor. Um, it was war reparations given to them by their a fascist occupying force called the Cardassians, um, which is set up in TNG. Um, so they they asked the Starfleet to come in because they helped facilitate the end of the Cardassian War. Um, who's kind of basically run the station and they're kind of there for their military protection as they rebuild their society. Um, unfortunately, uh, so it's like way, way out beyond the Federation borders. They're kind of in like frontier, no man's land territory. Um, but the only stable wormhole in existence is discovered. So it, come, it becomes like near the station. So it becomes critically the most important place in the whole alpha quadrant. Um, the wormhole takes place, like leads to the gamma quadrant, which is a, a section of the galaxy no one's ever been to. So it's like everyone's like kind of in like a gold rush to exploit it. And because of that, and the, the station's also an open port. It's like half of our cast aren't even in Starfleet and a lot of them are civilians. Um, so you get to know, you get to know a lot of different uh, factions and different kind of personalities kind of come and go through the station. Um, but that's more or less at least what we, you're gonna get in the, the premise. Um, for, for the premise of the show, there's lots of twists and turns. In the first episode, um, Cisco, uh, he's Commander Cisco, he's in charge of the station, um, goes into the wormhole, 
discovers uh, there's aliens that live in it. They name him his emissary, but they are the gods of the Bajoran. So he's kind of become their Christ-like figure. So he has a complicated relationship between navigating that society and his duties to Starfleet. Um, but I think that's the basic premise of the show. Am I missing anything you guys want to bring up before we start going into more specific storylines? No, I, I, think, think, I think that's a pretty good, a really good job. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much like antebellum meets the gold rush. Like if you were setting it like in human kind of standards, so, you know. Yeah, um, there, there is a Western flair to it. Yeah, it certainly, but I it think it's more apparent in the early episodes. Yeah. Um, they call it the frontier a couple of times. Yeah. Right. It's bonanza in space. Yeah. The, the only other thing I would say is that it's um like like with the uh, Enterprise and the next oh, I'm sorry with the original Enterprise crew and the Next Generation Enterprise crew who are very much they're the flagship that's the A team of the enter uh, of the Federation. This is more like the C team. This is supposed this starts off anyway as like a backwater post, and so it's just like okay, we'll just here's a motley crew of people that will just kind of flush there that are not like the type A. Like oh, we need to seek out new life and new civilization personnel that are yeah. there. So different personnel grouping. What yeah, one of the one of the things that's very endearing early on about the show is that at least at first, and you get this right up front, is the commander doesn't quite know if he wants to be there. The uh, uh, the chief engineer is dealing with a station that is constantly and perhaps deliberately broken essentially all of the time. There is a strong criminal element on board, which is not something you deal with in other Star Trek shows. The, yeah. You know, the, the, the crew of the discovery are not uh, um, uh, committing petty crimes against each other. Um, you've got multiple uh, officials from multiple governmental systems that are involved in the running of the station. Um, it's, it's, it is a hodgepodge of people, um, of whom I really only think two of them really want to be there. Um, Dr. Bashir and Dax, I think are the only people who are excited to be there. Well, I think and everyone else is too, right? Cause now he's chief of operations of a space station. You know, I mean, that is nice, but he's also driven crazy by the station, particularly in those early episodes. He, he, he wants to. <laughs> Um, he, he's he gonna wants take a hyper to spanner to someone. Yeah. No, he definitely <laughs> he wants to be there, there but yeah. Keiko does not. Oh, want right, to I forgot. Yeah, his wife very much does not want to no, be there. No, he he mentions. I, so I just rewatched it. So like one of the later seasons, he mentions to somebody um, ver, on just being on a space station versus a starship. He's like, oh, there's always something going wrong here. Like he was excited. There's always a problem to fix because he's an engineer. Um, right. You know, yeah. so he he that's how he likes to to, to operate and do things. But yeah, I think the station's de delib been deliberately sabotaged because uh, the Cardassians had to give it up to, uh, and, you know, an enemies of theirs. Um, the, their technology, the Starfleet and Federation technology, is not compatible with all of the other technologies on the station. But you're right; there yeah. is also a criminal element because it is an open port, which they call it a few times. So one of our, two of our main characters um, is the the chief of security Odo and uh, the guy who runs the bar, Frankie named Quark. Who's very clearly always got some sort of criminal scheme happening, and they're at odds with each other all the time. Mm -hmm. That you know, that's that's the one thing. It was like this is, I think, one of the first Star Trek series that not everybody part is part of the crew that's from Starfleet. Yeah. Oh yeah, the second in command's not is not in Starfleet. She's uh, 
part of the Bajoran military. She's there to represent like her people's interests, which is one of the reasons, like one of the main sources of butting heads between her and Cisco. That's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say uh, my joke for this episode is gonna be every time we brought up a character, I'm like, oh, that's my favorite character. That's my favorite really character. Nobody on the show I dislike. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. The, the 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 cast is so solid, and because they're able to do so many character-driven, very specific character study episodes that are just really just laser-focused on one person's personality. Although yeah. one person does have several different personalities. No, that's, that's besides the point. Um, yeah. the, we can, we can get into that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but the, um, but like the, the, it's, it's so much rougher than other Star Trek shows, which are, you know, shiny and gleamy future i mean uh quark uh, who is this he's a he's a friend he's a bar owner he's he's uh, up to his uh, lobes in the criminal element uh and the reason he remains on the station is that commander cisco blackmails him in the first episode which is something i forgot until i rewatch it because i typically don't rewatch the first episode of the show but i completely had forgotten that cisco blackmails Quark. Um, and that's not the last instance of blackmail the show. Well, the, show the show deals with By a long movie. shot. Um, what, what I like about DS9, because uh, Wes here probably knows because I talk about stuff all the time at the store, but I generally don't like things that are just dark for the sake of being dark. And like Deep Space Nine is darker than your average Star Trek. Like it doesn't it challenges the ideals of the Federation and like a lot of the other like aspirational optimistic future things, but it doesn't break them. Um, because yeah. there's some later episodes that deal with like liberty versus, you know, security, like tons of different things. Cause like humanity kind of has to like, it, it definitely is challenged because you see like a lot of other perspectives from other um, civilizations and like, they're not always wrong. Sometimes they make a lot more like, like speaking about our man Bashir, um, the two dueling characters in that without getting too much uh, detail, because you really should watch the episode because it's great fun. The two dueling characters that have very, very different interpretations of a spy work and be like how they need to resolve their situation. Because in classic Star Trek fashion, the holodeck that's gone wrong. Of course. Uh, yeah. You know, so Has anyone ever gone in a holodeck and had it work properly? I don't they think that's a perfect they make a joke about that. O'Brien mentions in uh he's talking to somebody else on the show who was served on the Enterprise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember how the holodecks just never worked, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I thought was funny, but it's it works even as a joke if you don't get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But with that, would we would you guys like to get into some of the storylines that go throughout the series, or would you like to jump into some characters first? Well, yeah, it, oh, go ahead, Mike. No, I was going to say, yeah, maybe let's define some of the characters, I yeah. think, because that, could, yeah, that the, gives us character. a good eye. Yeah, so yeah. let's start at the top. Um, the highest ranking uh, regular character we have is uh, Commander and uh, Commander Cisco. Um, I really like him. Um, I like that he's got a son, and they show, like, they clearly love each other, and they have a very strong relationship. It's very, the show went out of his way in the beginning, especially to show that he's not Picard. He even says that to Q when he, you know, deals with Q in his way. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you just brought that up because yeah. I think we're all dying to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I, I will say before we get too much more into Cisco, I think one of the things that's hard for new players or new 
watchers to get into this is like, do you guys think Avery Brooks is a good actor? I, I do. I'm, okay. I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go to bat for Avery Brooks, Brooks because he is, he is, he is very theatrical in some episodes. He emotes in some episodes, but not only, but he, he, I, I, he's one of the most watchable Trek actors. If he's on the screen, I'm paying attention to what he's doing. He's, yeah. I mean, he's not understated by any stretch of imagination, but he's just, he's, he is, I mean, he could, he could be eating a steak and making commentary about it, and I would find it enthralling. All right, so the reason I bring it up, because I do think he's a good actor, but he's got a very specific way he speaks, which I know from my experience when I first watched him, like, this is weird, and it took me a while to kind of get used to. to it's almost Shakespearean. Well, yeah. I was going to say, um, and, and Scott, I know we were talking a little about this uh, before the episode started, but he is a very much classical theater actor where he speaks for the back row of the theater and he uses his body uh, for the back row of the theater. And you can see that. And there, are, and the way he uses his diaphragm, and that does require, you know, catching your breath, which kind of leads to a, a seesawy way of speaking and the way he kind of stops gets his breath back in there and is then able uh, to emote. So it does come across as a little bit stop and starty, but no, I, th I think he's a fantastic actor. And I think he gives um, very much a lot of purpose into the way Cisco acts or the way Cisco responds to things. I think he is definitely, you can see it that he is working out ahead of time exactly um, where Cisco is um, thinking about things. There, there are a lot of things like, unlike Picard, Cisco gets angry about things. Like, mm -hmm. and Cisco gets annoyed by things and by things that should, you know, be beneath him. And he, he's the first actor or the first Trek captain who has to kind of go into that world a little bit. Okay, I mean, like, so, um, so obviously, Commander Cisco. Uh, has to navigate the tricky waters of being a messiah figure for a race that's not his. Mm -hmm. um, so his second in command is Bajoran, um, and she's uh, Major Major Kira Nerys. My favorite a character. character. I've really grown to love more and more <laughs> over the years. Um, we talk about a character that's angry, um, yeah. but she's got a really interesting history. So, uh, what was it? Fifty years of occupation that the Cardassians had. She grew up under a a fascist occupation uh, of her homeworld and grew up as a resistance fighter. So she, she would call herself a freedom fighter, but the Cardassians clearly call them terrorists and they're very classically terroristic motive, like uh, operations they did. By the way, this was a pre 9-11 show. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I don't, I don't know how that, that would necessarily fly if they tried to, I'm, I'm glad it got made when it did. Yeah, I can't imagine because trying to make the show now. Because Kira is is a phenomenal character over the course of the show. I have I have I have one objection to a decision that the producers clearly made about her personal relationships for later in the show. But yeah. I yeah. But other than that, I I really uh, she is such a unique character again in star trek because she comes into this thing everybody else is sort of uh, uh every other star trek character that starts off as a federation officer is 
is steeped in, you know, the, the glory and wonder that is the Federation. I mean, they're walking Federation propaganda posters. Um, they love the Federation and the, and, you know, how peaceful it is and earth is a paradise. And Kira looks at them and goes, Oh, look, you're, you're here. That's great. I hate you. Go away now. Yeah. She's I, need upset, your dumb yeah face. I, know, I know in the beginning she's upset. They just regained their home world and they're just, they're immediately let the, let the Federation in. Yeah. Let's yeah. the Federation in and like, and they're like, well, they didn't do anything for us because, they talk about that in TNG when they first introduced this stuff where it's like, yeah, because there was like a huge humanitarian crisis, but like because of the Prime Directive, Starfleet won't get involved. Um, I know eventually yeah. they do because I know they fight a war with the Cardassians, which we never get to see. Uh, because yeah. they're, they're Kira, yeah, the station is fought in that, yeah. Kira to me is, uh, like I said, she's my favorite character because like you said, she starts off angry in the very first episode, but I think throughout the series, you see the most character development and change with her than than any other character in the show. Because at least not like our our main crew. Yeah, she definitely gets the most. Oh yeah, she definitely gets the most. Um, no, exactly. Out of the main crew, because she starts off one way. Um, you know, by the end of the show, she's a total opposite. Um, and you see that growth throughout the seasons, which I think that's why I like her the most out of the whole initial crew. Yeah, what's nice is you you see her become friends uh, and come to respect the the Starfleet officer she serves with, which is gratifying, especially in Cisco's case, because Kira's all, more or less like an antagonist for a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, she's she's vehemently opposed to just the idea of them being there. But then, of course, you know the the Bajorans are very very religious people, and like all of a sudden, this guy's now is the, now their mess, messianic figure, and it's like, oh, can we can we take a slight sidestep while talking about characters because yeah. one of the great parts in Deep Space Nine is recurring characters. Oh yeah. People who aren't necessarily main cast but are on the show enough where they are just indelibly tied to the show. And um, there are uh, uh, for instance you mentioned the Bajoran religious scene. And yeah. as far as antagonists go uh, there, there's a character on the program uh, named Kai Wynn, who is, I think, one of, I, I, I think she's one of the. Yeah, okay, I'm not gonna go too much further, but yeah. she is, she is a, she's a phenomenal character, she's a phenomenal foil for the other characters, and there's lots mm -hmm. of these side characters who, because they stay in one place, because they visit the same planet over and over and over again, because they're in orbit near it. Um, although no, they're, they, they start in orbit near and then they, they physically move a little move farther. They move, they move farther, the yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but they're, they're between this planet and the wormhole. Um, these characters who you in, in a normal Trek show, you would have seen for the one episode and then you would have moved on. They get such depth and such breath and no. such. No, Kai Wynn is one of those characters. I was going to bring up the villains later, but we'll just talk about it now. So yeah. we approach the, the, the seal's been popped. Um, <laughs> She's so great because, like, she's become, she's essentially the the pope of their religion, but like, yep. she's still scheming for her own purposes. So it's like she she's kind of trying to have a relationship with the emissary of the prophets, which is what they call the wormhole aliens. Um, but like, yeah. nobody really likes her, and they kind of see through her her BS. But it's like you kind of got to play the game a little bit because she's such an important figure on the planet, and they're trying to rebuild their society. Yeah, um, like phenomenal oh, actress. She showed up in something else recently. I was like, oh, yeah, it's Kai Wynn. She was in Shameless. 
I remember. Maybe that's why I was thinking Shameless. Oh, yeah, she's the grandmother in Shameless. Phenomenal, phenomenal, great actress. But she's also another character that kind of goes through some arcs through the show. We're like, oh yeah, she's an antagonist, but she's not like a she's a bad guy, but she's not a bad guy. Yeah, like the record Ralph thing. You know, they give her they give her. And all of the antagonists on the show, for the most part, I mean, the, the, if you have to pick a villain on the show from the very first episode, it's a Cardassian by the name of Gull Dukat. Yes. And yeah. Dukat goes through so many different phases on this show. What, this is one of the things I was thinking of when I was trying to skip through episodes, where it was like, wait, what, what, what's going on with Dukat right now? What's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. like, I can't say anything else. Right but uh, yeah, where the heck is the Ducat arc right now? Yes. Because he's such a complicated character and not, I mean, I, I, I can't say anything more, but if you're if you are someone who isn't into the Space Nine yet, some of these characters, Win Adami, who's, which is the, the proper name uh, for Win, uh, the, this Bajoran religious figure, um, Gul Dukat, this Cardassian uh, um, military attendant who was essentially the, the dictator of Bajor for a while. He was the, the face of the occupational government. Um, and he used to the, run the, Deep Space Nine. He used to, yeah, Nine. yeah, when it was, when it was uh, uh, Tarak Noor. Yeah. Um, he, he, he ran the show. But it... Uh, following the arcs of the side characters because they put them through some real loops over the course yeah. of the show. I mean, there's, there's some before stuff the, that uh, happens. Yeah, before, before we move on to <laughs> yeah. Ducat, I want to plant my flag real quick on, on Ducat. I'm going to go on record. I think he is the best character in all of Star Trek. Really? I mean, I, oh, wow. I, I can absolutely see the argument for that one. Yeah. I'm not I can saying see that everyone, else, everyone else is bad, but like he's so compelling and he's performed so well by Mark and Limo. Um, yeah, he's great too. Uh, uh, like the relationship he has with, with, with our main characters and like his own society. And like, again, we don't want to get too deep into stuff, but like just watch, watch the show for him. Like, he's not, she doesn't show up all the time, but when he does, it's always. Impactful. There are seasons that have more of him and seasons of that, that have less. Yeah. But well, like he's the, the like shark from Jaws. He's kind of always yeah. around and he's always <laughs> dangerous. So when he shows up, it's like a big deal. Yeah. While, while we're just on the uh, the topic of um, not just main cast actors, but now as we start to expand out, I, I will say I do think Deep Space Nine is far and away the best acted of all of these shows. And they have they get such a fantastic um, um, just like backlog of actors that come in, not to just be on the main cast, but to be on the side cast as well. I mean, you mentioned Louise Fletcher, who is, you know, she, she, she won an Academy Award and she's a main recurring a character uh, on the show. Mark Alamo is fantastic as Gold Ducat. I mean, uh, we haven't Jeffrey gotten into Holmes him yet, but Jeffrey Combs and Andrew yeah. Robinson. Oh, uh, Andrew Robinson is gay. Yeah. Correct. Renee Aubergine, was... may he rest in power, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and then just a couple of other. I mean, the, just the one-off, you said duet was your favorite. Oh. I can't remember the actor's oh, name. Wallace, uh, Wallace Shawn is a recurring character, too. Yeah, well, Wallace Shawn. Wallace yeah. Shawn, of all people on a Star Trek show. Inconceivable, yeah. Inconceivable. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. He's the Prince of Pride. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the the these 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 side characters and and Garrick um, is is a side character that's essentially a main character. Yeah. Uh, He's a main character by the end of the series. By the end of the series, he is. Yeah. He, he is he, he's in i think every episode in the last season um i was gonna say he he was just supposed to be a one-off character and he's so is pretty good in- interesting <laughs> interesting point about andrew robinson he was the runner-up for odo oh really he can be a good odo he's uh, he runner-up and he didn't want to do it afterwards but his daughter who's actually um uh, uh, a guest uh actress she was in the episode the visitor um oh is she the is she the girl that goes to a certain older gentleman to ask him why he stopped writing novels correct yes okay Um, that's that's a great episode that's that's probably my favorite episode of star trek period but um um but i know yeah so he was originally supposed to be um odo and um he he just decided he didn't originally want to take the role of garrick but um kind of decided at the last minute uh, to do it. And, you know, it was off to the races from there. Um, speaking of Garrick and just main characters, I'll just make the real uh, quick point, but I, I seriously think Ju- Julian Bashir is my favorite main cast character of the show. And I don't think a, a discussion about the characters would be uh, complete without him. I just, you oh, know, uh, I think he is the best example of a certain archetype of character you see frequently on Star Trek, specifically 90 Star Trek. It, it was, he was probably Wesley and the next generation and then Ensign uh, Harry Kim in Voyager. But he is kind of like that eternal optimist and just this idea who this person who sees the Federation um, and the values of the Federation as like this, you know, ideal that should be emulated and um, spread out. But unlike those two characters, goes through an immense, you know, character growth and maybe the opposite way of just because he is able to see, you know, exactly where the flaws are in some of those values. And so I think, you know, try, just trying to keep it big level and not, you know, get yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you are, you are walking the line appropriately. Uh, I, um, I know but, he's one of the complaints I have, for, I've gotten from people who like, Tried watching Deep Space Nine and couldn't get into. It. It was like, oh, I hate the Doctor. I'm like, no, kind the of do it perfect. first, but like, he have to. That's yeah, he, change, he changes a lot. Yeah, I mean, he is. If they did an episode of Star Trek now, where like an episode of Picard, where oh Wesley, it turns out became a captain. You know that little kid from that show. He's now a captain. Bashir is the story arc to how Wesley would become a captain. I think, and to how he would gain just that confidence and that edge to him that he didn't have at a very early stage in his career. Yeah. I can see that. Um, but we're still uh, talking about... So so speaking of... Because all the characters like know each other and have their own personal relationship and links to each other. Let's talk about his other best friend, uh, Miles O'Brien, the new chief of operations. Uh our first a man he bullies into being his best friend. Yeah, he kind of is. Um, <laughs> he, he just wears that man down until until he loves him. Yeah, so people that watch Star Trek The Next Generation will recognize um, his, his transporter chief, O'Brien, he gets uh, transferred to become the chief of operations of Deep Space Nine. In fact, that's the, one of the big 
plot points of the first episode is the Enterprise is docked there um, and he's leaving that with his family. Um, so they, he also is good, especially early on, to kind of give you the like civilian aspect of it as well because you have to deal with his wife, you have to deal with his daughter at the time, who's, who's a little baby. Um, maybe she's a toddler. She's, she's little. She grows up a little bit over the course of the show right. because that's how uh, time works. Um, <laughs> which is also something we have to learn. It's weird to see a character in Star Trek not arrested in a state of time. And yeah. staying that way for all seven years. Oh, that's, that's like I said, that's, that's one of the big strengths. But like, I already loved Chief O'Brien from, from The Next Generation. When that one, he was clearly just a side character. Like he still had his own little life you could kind of get out snippets of, but now he's a full-fledged like main character. And I know there's kind of a joke where it's like, now he's on DC Nine and his life is just terrible because bad things are just constantly <laughs> happening to him. In right? that, was, that man yeah. through the ringer. On yeah, that, that was show. a joke in the writer's room where it's like, what can we, what terrible thing can we do to O'Brien this week? But he definitely yeah. came into his own on that show. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, the the challenges they gave him allowed him to the, to to come into his own. I mean, but but the things that they did to that man on that show, oh, <laughs> there there are things that happened to Chief O'Brien. Which so not into okay. it too much, like his life's like nightmarish, and now he There are there are moments on that show where where things happen to Chief O'Brien where. Uh, uh, you know, a normal human being would have quit their job and yeah. gone on on emotional rest for the rest of their life. I guess it's there, good that they have synthahol, so he can't just like become an alcoholic wreck. Yeah. Right. Um, there is one specific episode, and I not to get into too much. Where let, let's just say something happens to him in the blink of an eye. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. something that seems like it should take a while happens in the blink like, of an eye. It's if like that happened to me. Like, yeah. I would sit in Quarks and you would never see me again. I would just grow a beard in Quarks. I would become his best oh, customer. Do, do we think that's what happened to Morn? Is that the secret backstory of Morn? Uh, uh, for those of you who've never seen the show, Morn it, it, is a it, character it, where his, yeah. his only speech, he sits at the bar. Yeah, and his, his, his name is yeah. Norm. Yeah, he's from Cheers backwards. Yeah. I know they were originally going to give him the last line of the show, but they decided against that, which I think is good. Mm. I, I yeah. remember hearing that rumor as well. Yeah. Um, well, Morn, Morn, yeah. Morn gave me my biggest laugh in the entire series, um, it, which if we do a spoiler follow-up episode, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But, but Morn's great. Uh, he, he's just one of those fun background characters that's always there. Yeah. Um, right. He's more set-dressing like, than character. Um <laughs> Well, let's talk about the rest of the, the senior staff a little bit. We got Jadzia Dax, uh, oh, okay. who's a trill, which is a, essentially a symbiotic mm -hmm. life form, where there's a humanoid version. Um, that's it, and then there's like a little like symbiote slug that lives inside of them. Um, that as the person dies, like that moves on to another host, um, and they become their personalities merge. So like each host of the of Dax, for example, we get to learn about a couple of them are very different characters, even though they have all of the memories of their predecessor. So she's living in her, the shadow of her most recent former host, Curzon, a little bit, who was like this, uh, the, the ambassador to the Klingons and was mentor to uh, Benjamin Sisko, her new commanding officer. So they sort of have like kind of a relationship to begin with, um, 
But I love I love their their camaraderie with each other. And I love her specifically, how like confident she is, not just in her job, but like and like she in like uh, her relationships with people. Like she dates around and is, does not apologize for it. Um, she kind of doesn't get hung up because she's been both men and women. She doesn't get hung up on gender. She doesn't very progressive character. Seems like a character that would they'd invent in, for Star Trek now. And I think she has the first uh, yes. gay really like gay kiss on Star Trek. Yes, um, it's it's an interesting thing too because I believe both characters involved. I mean, there's there's a gender switch because of the, the symbiote moving to a new host. And and Terry Farrell knocks that character out of the park entirely. Oh, so good. Her performance yeah. is is remarkable and she has you really she she's so confident on that show and she explains it that uh, several times that you know, she's lived what, seven, eight, nine lifetimes already. Yeah. She and says she, she stopped counting after she seven. turned three hundred. Yeah. She's yeah. she's and she is functionally, at least partially, immortal, um, provided yeah. that they can move the symbiote to a new host. The you know uh, her her memories, her personality, her her loves, her hates, her fears, her her triumphs. They will they will go on ad infinitum, uh, which is you know something something interesting that you have a character on the show that is. I think of it. You may have more than one pe- person that uh, is frequently on the show that's functionally immortal. Uh, she's one of the characters I appreciate more and more as I rewatch the show. I'm like, I really, like, I don't need a strong female role model, but I'm glad she exists. Like her and Kira and their budding relationship because they seem so different from each other. But like, that's that's what's great about Dax is she's friends with everybody. And like, people can't even like comprehend. It's like, she hangs out with Quark and plays like Frankie games with them. She's the only person that does stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I think I mentioned like, it to you. Once you know who they are, like they're fun to hang out with. Yeah, you know, Scott. I think we were we were talking in the on. in the store how uh, Dax to me was kind of very. She was an okay character until I'm trying to remember the episode uh, until Equilibrium that gave yeah. Dax like her backstory and it, it, it made me appreciate her a little bit more as a character. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I that's at that point was when I kind of started to warm up to Dax a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, if I'm not mistaken, that shows off many sides of her personality, yeah? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's okay. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. That's when we get to basically meet all of her previous hosts. Oh, correct, yeah. Without getting deep into I mean, yeah, that's the set, yeah, that's them, but, the setup of the episode, as I should have realized, that's not actually a spoiler, that's probably the description yeah. of the episode, is that um, you get the, to see spoilers all of the different into, personalities. Yeah, going a little bit more into detail, but, like, a lot yeah. of those characters are mentioned because, like, she has all these different, like, eclectic group of skills because, you know, like, one of her past uh, hosts was an engineer or a pilot. So, like, she can fly mm-hmm. things, like, because she's, she's a, just, a, I think she's just a general science officer, right? What's her? Yeah. Yeah, she's the yeah. science officer. Yeah, so, but she's not, like, specific. Like, she's not an engineer. She's not, you know, a botanist. No, she's, a, she's no, all she's around. what Mr. Spock was supposed to be. Yeah, because yeah. she's got such a background in all these different things, it makes a lot of sense. I know they kind of just use her for like their general like techno babble uh, stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the only other main character, like main, I don't want to say crew member because um, he's. Do you count Odo as senior staff? He's chief of chief of security uh, on the station. 
he he insists many times that he does not work for um he does he doesn't he uh, works for the bajoran government he's got that uniform on he's very fond of telling cisco he does not work for him early on on the show um but he also worked he's he's senior staff i would say but he also worked for the cardassians too in the same role he just kind of kept it on after the fact which which is a huge which leads to a lot of complications yeah as the show goes on well, but hey guys, to I, me, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I have to sign off uh, at oh, this time. Okay. Yeah, we're recording this one a little bit late than we nor- normally yes, this do. this is my fault. I apologize, okay. Wes. Uh, it's okay. I enjoy the conversation, gentlemen. <laughs> All right, Wes. Well, thank you for, for coming on. Uh, we'll beam you out. Thanks um, for having me. Oh, yes. No problem, man. You we'll get you, we'll get you for other stuff. I'm sure we'll talk. I'm, I know you and I have a lot of other things in common. I'm sure we'll talk about, talk stuff again soon. Okay. All right, man. Have a good night, guys. Easy. Okay, but uh, yeah, Odo. So he's also the outsider role that there usually is in Star Trek, whereas like your Spock, your Data, where he's kind of like, he's the last of his, he's the only known member of his species, the shape-shifting race. Um, and he's the, so clearly he's the only one that he, on the station that's like him. Um, yeah. So he's got kind of a, he's always kind of skewed himself as not an outsider. He's not even really humanoid. Like he can't get the, even get the faces right with his shape changing, which is why he yeah. looks so, so smooth and plastic. Yeah, it's a great I, job as a dirt German Shepherd, though. German yeah. chest got down. He's got down packed. Human yeah, there's face- some sort of psychological block where he can't do humanoids, but he can do like a bird. Yeah, he can be yeah. animals or inanimate objects, no problem. I wonder if that. All right, so we we get a little bit deeper into the character than that. Then I wonder if that's like a subconscious thing, like he knows he doesn't belong with them, and like uh, he just he doesn't I mean, have that connection with with humanoids yet um that, he, that makes sense he, yeah, he that's is, actually a really good point yeah that's not something they ever get into the show so it's not a spoiler well yeah. there there is one episode um where uh, i don't want to get too spoilery but he does get better at making faces and that's because because of and, another individual's influence because yes. of another individual not yeah. being there anymore and i think um you know, there might be a um, a certain psychological uh, block, uh, and I think yeah, I think well, Scott brings up a really good point that it might yeah. be uh, a psychological block around one other specific character on the show. Yeah, I, um, I I actually went to a completely different episode mentally where I was thinking it was because a very specific person was with him, um, where suddenly he is significantly better at, at presenting uh, features. Um, yeah uh uh in an episode that was mentioned earlier uh uh today and now we have a scavenger hunt on for you future df sign fan this guy is so frustrating for people that know what we're talking about like just say it Uh, but it's also fun because now you get to be in on the uh you're in in on on the the joke hopefully we've got people that don't know we're talking about sufficiently uh their appetite sufficiently whetted I say yeah. the only other main character we haven't we haven't touched on yet is Quark, and I have a very complicated relationship with the Frankie and Star Trek in general. Um, I, I mentioned on mm-hmm. Harry on Harry's show uh, with Hailing Frequencies, I hated hated the Frankie in TNG. Um, I found them to be uh, horrible uh, anti-Semitic stereotypes. This they, they, they are. Yeah, they, they are, and it's really bad, and they're really terrible episodes of TNG. 
the three main Frankie characters on the show, Quark, his brother Ram, and Ramsan Nag, completely, uh, completely redeemed the entire Ferengi race for me. Those three are some of my favorite characters in the entire franchise now. And one of the episodes, one of the episodes I rewatched was a very late season episode that is centered around Nog, and saying just saying that I'm reasonably sure you know what I'm talking about. I I can at least pick one of three episodes that it is that can come. Uh, up. Yes, that where where the 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 Nog's character the the oh his name is escaping me again. Uh, Max. Uh, Max Grodenkirk. Yes. Is, is that how you pronounce it? Max, I thought it was Max Grodenchak. Grodenchak. Oh, Grodenchak. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, Max Grodenchak, who, who sadly passed uh, not long ago, uh, as we, oh, we, we allude. Yeah, yeah did, did you not see that? Yeah. yeah he and, no. and Aubergine have both passed in like the last year yeah. or so. Oh, no. Well, yeah, I know his nice. brother is actually um, one of our uh, representatives uh, here in New York City. He's on the uh, New York City. Yeah, yeah. He's, 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 he's on, the, on the city council. Um, yeah, but he, he delivers just a knockout stellar performance. And that character goes, again, another another character that isn't, excuse me, sorry, a character that is not a theoretical, like, main, main character that goes through such an arc over the course oh. of seven seasons where you put those two characters, the beginning of the show, end of the show, side by side, and... It is it is genuinely remarkable uh, how much the character has grown and changed um, in in so many ways. Uh, and yeah. the same thing happens for his father Rom, although he doesn't change in necessarily in his personality. Uh, uh, his his circum yeah, I know, I know. No, no, no. I was just going to say but, time out. Jesse Eisenberg passed away recently. I don't know if who was um, Nog. Did Max Grodenchek also Max, pass no. away? Yeah, Max Grodenchek passed away. Max, I'm I'm 99 sure. Hey, Jesse Eisenberg okay. died. Jesse, I know Jesse Eisenberg Jesse, died. Jesse, Jesse suffered from Jesse Eisenberg, uh, the guy who played Lex Luthor in Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. No, it's something else. Eisenberg. Something. Sorry, I don't remember the actor's exact name. <laughs> That's uh, right. Well, we'll, we'll I, figure this out later. Yeah. Anyway, Nog Nog has so Deep Space Nine especially is as a series of great monologues, and everyone gets every character gets at least two good ones, I think. But Nog has one, and to say there's an episode where he comes of age, and tries yes. to buy an apprenticeship that is unexpected. Yeah. And he finally explains why. And that's, so that's the moment that turned on me. I was like, oh, I like this character now. Um, and, yeah. oh, so good. It's one of my favorite it, episodes it of this. Yeah. It recontextualizes the, every other relationship that character has, too. It's one of those great episodes that significantly improves everything that you've seen before that point. Yeah, I agree. Um. Oh yeah. yeah there, uh, there, there's also sorry. There's one specific Aaron Eisenberg. That was his name. Sorry. Aaron Eisenberg. Yeah. Yes. Aaron Eisenberg passed. Yes. I, Aaron Eisenberg has passed away. But okay. um, just as we're we talking got that about, sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
But the, there was one specific episode, and it's one of the campier episodes, uh, you know, Little Green Men, where they compare like Ferengi to, um, you know, the more selfish aspects of humanity. There, there are a couple of great lines in there where they're, um, again, again, I don't want to get too spoiler-ish, but um, when you talk about, you know, the, the history of the Ferengi versus the history of humanity, yeah, they're greedy, and they're, but they've never done things like commit war crimes or, you know, genocide, genocide or things Slavery. like that. Yeah, yeah those, so, those ones I, mean, I know they mentioned. There are, there are a little, they are a little more advanced in that. And they are just, when we say they're more obsessed with profit, that's all they care about. They are not mean and they're not ill-spirited. Well, they're, they're, they're not mean if you are a male of a species. Yeah, they, have they a also lot of happen other... to be, as far as we know, the, the most sexist species in all of Star Trek. Yes. Fair enough. I was not... Uh, I was yeah, not you didn't, you didn't go in that direction, but they, they have some real extremely regressive gender but roles on the, Ferenginar. But that's part of what makes the Ferengi episodes so great. Is like they, they, they start challenging a lot of that stuff. Um, well, and that's the focus of, uh, I think, with one or two exceptions, every Ferengi-centric episode is about challenging their own, their own people's attitude. Because for lack of a better term, like, they usually kind of pit Rom and, and Quark against each other. And again, for lack of a better term, where Quark is more of the conservative and Rom is more like the progressive type like mentalities for stuff. Yeah. So they kind of like butt heads yeah. a little bit in that regard. Especially once you start to see like what their home life is like, you kind of understand why they are the way they are. Okay. Um, and uh, Rom is another character that goes through an arc where at the beginning he and Quark's relationship develops. He tries to do some real nasty stuff to Quark early on in that show. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, they, they Yeah, in retrospect, it's sort of weird. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, the Ferengi on the show, the whole scene at the bar, the fact that, that you know, there there's essentially a casino and bar in the middle of this Federation space station. And uh, three and doors this. down from a church and next door to a Klingon coffee shop. Yeah, and I'm glad we've real hipster neighborhood is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm glad they've all finally dropped the pretense of what holodecks are really for. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they're very clearly useful. Yeah, that's that's, viewed them for yes, because we all know what those holodecks are for. Yeah, they're they're for for intimate purposes. Oh, yeah, um, what we're talking about, you go to yeah, 1960s Vegas and watch a lounge singer, of course. Yeah, that's that's what most of the crew yeah. is using it for. Uh, <laughs> um, um, and there, there's some, there's, there is some gross stuff that happens um, with with maybe uh, people's image being used on the holodecks uh, in ways that they don't necessarily like um, on that show. <laughs> It's very prescient for like the internet age. Yeah, it really is. Deep fakes were a thing on Deep Space Nine uh, well before we got to them. Um, yeah. And don't get too excited about watching the show for that. There is one horrifying okay. one. Yeah, there's one horrifying to... episode. I'm sorry. Yeah, that yeah, is not a good pitch. That is not a good pitch for the show to talk about that one episode. You could very easily it's, skip and has no major plot points in it. It's, it's the scariest moment in television history except for 
uh, in Twin Peaks when, oh God, what's her name comes screaming at the camera. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 um, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Laura Palmer. Oh my God. Laura Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole thing that show she was murdered and that's, <laughs> yeah. but we'll talk about Twin Peaks another time. Yeah. Um, Cause I have opinions on that, but, um, Oh yeah, the, like I said, the Frankie episodes. Like in, in rewatching it, I've been skipping episodes, and I almost never skipped a Frankie one. Which is the exact yeah. opposite when I do TNG. I have to skip every single one. But speaking right. of them being like anti-Semitic uh, kind of characters, I kind of view the Bajorans as like kind of an apology for them because yeah. they, they they were an occupied but under the, the Cardassians are clearly very Nazi-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were like they went through. I don't want to call it a holocaust, but they went through, they went through an occupation. Yeah, it's a weird that, mixture yeah. of the of yeah. the of of sort of post war Germany and the the British Irish relationship, where where you had you know the the where Kira is, um, whereas I think the Bajorans are very uh, very much analogs for. Um, uh, the Jewish people, I think that the way they structured what Kira was doing was very reminiscent of the IRA. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, the Bajorans um, culturally are, are, are very analogous to um, the Irish and the way that the Celts were, but the 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 Cardassians are clearly set up. They're very close to, like, between the Irish and the Jews, but um, the Cardassians are kind of seen as like that occupying force. So they're the um, <clears throat> Nazi Germany. They are the British in Ireland. Um, I, I should also say, um, <clears throat> you know, the Irish are, also, I'm sorry, the Bajorans are a, a little bit similar to um, the Palestinian um, issue, mm-hmm. which was certainly uh, pre- um, still prevalent now. Yeah, also, very much so. You know, it's, I guess it's my, my own perspective of being Jewish descent. Like so, that's why I, I kind of saw them because they're also re- like also very much defined by their religion, and they have like mm-hmm. ornamental headgear and stuff. But like now that right. you mentioned the Irish thing, that's a we- an interesting connection because Kira becomes relatively close to the O'Briens, um, yeah. and yeah. obviously Miles O'Brien is Irish. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's an interesting connection. I never put that together with them. Well, um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a yeah. The um just the, the Kira Narice, like just the way like the, the the Celts were structured where the the females were like warriors alongside with the men. So that I think is a um Bodica. That is a yeah, that is a connection that goes back to um like the the Celts and um the Irish occupation and yeah. obviously the Irish the, the Easter uprising. Um, but but the the way that they I mean Hugo Boss may as well have designed the Cardassian uniform. Uh, I mean, they, they, they have this fascistic iconography, which is one of the reasons why, um, to, to, to go back to Gul Dukat, Gul Dukat is such a friggin' fascinating character mm-hmm. because, I mean, uh, uh, this character is essentially a Nazi, and they yeah. make you guess as to whether or not he's good or bad in any given situation. Because and, and this is where sort of the cut. British, yeah, this is where, where the British analogy comes in, where he's just he's very charming and erudite, and um, he has absolute faith in that what he did was you know the right thing to do at the time, and he's you know he's he is soaked in the propaganda 
of the uh, the Cardassian government, which is very different than our show's other regular Cardassian, that is Garrick, who is the. But they both still have they, since they both still grew up in the same culture. They both still believe a lot in like the 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 propaganda and like doing things for. That's true. Because like, he, he talks about like he and Bashir become friends and they have lunch together, mm-hmm. and they swap uh, uh, literature from their cultures. And he's trying to convince them about Cardassian like, epics. Yeah, like they have the Cardassian epics, and like, so they kind of get into that a little bit. But like, you see, the two of them are enemies. Like, they clearly hate each other, mm-hmm. um, but they never say specifically why. But you can kind of guess at why. But like, yeah. um, but like some of the most interesting, the, some of the most compelling episodes are when like they have to work together with Gul Dukat for mm-hmm. one reason or the other. Right. Like, I don't want to say like they have to be friends with him for this episode, but like there's some sort of mutual goal or like it's in the interest of their yeah. best interest of their governments to come to some sort of understanding. Right. Um, and because, and yeah. Kira hates him, but there are episodes of that show where you can see and, and not a visitor who plays Kira Norris on that show does such a good job of playing Kira's discomfort at the moments when she can see Gul Dukat's perspective, where she yeah. develops empathy or sympathy for Gul Dukat, who, who for her whole life has essentially been the face of the oppression and degradation and enslavement of her people. Um, and the, that whole arc that Kira goes through as far as Gul Dukat is concerned and the highs and lows of Gul Dukat's arc are something that you don't get on other Trek shows. Um, you get other growth arcs, you get other change arcs, but you don't get someone or even a relationship between two characters the way you get a relationship between Kira and Gul Dukat or between Cisco and Gul Dukat or between Garrick and Gul Dukat on that show. Yeah. There, uh, he's so, there's that's why third. I plant my flag that he's my favorite. I think yeah. he's the best. He's at least the most compelling or, or interesting if you want to look at it character in the franchise, I think. There, there's one other character as we're discussing uh, Garrick and Dukat that, you know, has always been fascinating to me. And I, you know, I've said I, Julian is probably my favorite main cast character Garrick is probably my favorite character on that show and one of my favorite Star Trek characters. Mm-hmm. But the, one of the characters I just find so compelling, and he's a later season character, and he just comes, he's originally introduced as just a one off character, is Dumar, who is oh, yeah. uh, Dukat's right hand man. And if you want to talk about somebody who goes through an arc, <laughs> oh, yeah, where you can see their their perspective from where they were on day one to their perspective of where they were um, in their... Um, on the very last episode, the last scene. Yeah, it's just, wow. Talk about a character that goes from point A to point B and yeah. understanding the reasons why they go there. It's just mm-hmm. fantastic. I don't think it's so much going from point A to point B, but going down the whole alphabet of points. <laughs> yeah. we, can't, we cannot talk with it. In the interest of being spoiler-free, we can't yeah. talk about him. No, um, but he's such a compelling character, and I think he is so great in juxtaposition uh, to yeah. Dukat. And I mean, there there are many ways to view Dukat. I mean, I, Matt and I we've had uh, conversations where very long um, conversations where Dumar is kind of Dukat's right hand man, 
um, as it were. And if, you know, yeah. Dumar is, or sorry, if Ducat is kind of like this Caesar kind of like, you know, that type of figure, Dumar is very clearly like the Mark Antony that is just underneath him, but, you know, definitely has some, definitely has life of his own and uh, visions of his own. And so he, he's such a compelling character. Yeah. And, and again, the, the thing that gives this show so much life is that you, you get to spend so much time with such a wide array of fascinating characters that are incredibly well acted. Um, yeah. Stacey uh, Biggs does such a great job with them. Phenomenal, phenomenal actor. Uh, um, uh, I, I, my favorite villain on the show, I can't say anything about. Um, I literally cannot I say word one. You know who it is because we've, we've exactly had, we've had a very long conversation about this. My I second favorite it. villain in all of Star Trek outside of uh, a holodeck character that only appears twice in The Next Generation. Um, uh, but she's a female. Yeah, she, she's a female. It's a good way of letting all these Space Nine characters know uh, who we're talking about. But uh, just that I... Um, Wait, I'm confused uh, who you're talking about then. It is a character who by the end of the show's run, it's a villain whose villainy is driven entirely by exasperation, which is just... Oh, why don't we talk about Sorry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where the, and it, it is uh, the, the, uh, the actress who plays the part, who I, I, I can't say anything about it um, because it would spoil huge portions of the show to even talk about this person. Um, the, that they're all of the evil things that they do are driven by the fact that they're just so tired of having to deal with the situation they're in. They're yeah. just completely exhausted saying, okay, we'll just, we'll do this and we'll, then we'll do that. And then we'll do the other thing. And all of the things I just mentioned are war crimes, but please just go and do them for me. Um, well, that, they're, they're not, they're not war crimes sir, because they're yeah, they're not war. They're not war crimes to her. They're yeah. they're they're she just exhausting that, things that take yeah. a lot of her time and energy. Because she doesn't look as anyone else as people. All right, we don't. No. We, we, can't, we, we can't. Yeah, we can't. We, we can't. We can't mention them more. We got to cut it off there. But yeah. oh. these are the sorts of if you have not watched Deep Space Nine, these are the sorts of incredibly fascinating. And that's a character who's incredibly well drawn out. Where by the end of the show, you understand a million different emotional aspects to their character and you can, and where they spend a good amount of time making you understand their perspective. And mm -hmm. even, and Garrick, who I don't think you even mentioned who Garrick is. Garrick is a tailor that lives on the station who has a mysterious backstory. Well, he's also Kardashian. the only Cardassian that lives on yes, the station. Yes, on a Bajoran yeah, station. Yeah. yeah. So everyone kind of hates him. Yes. He is he is the the uh, he is the last Nazi walking around, um, but he he goes through this where he he presents himself in a very specific way for a very long period of time on that show, and an episode happens where you learn a secret about him um, that's almost biological secret about him where it re again recontextualizes everything you know about that character and it just what motivates him, what drives him, what drives his interactions with other people. And 
you typically don't get a lot of that on a lot of other Star Trek shows. You get fun adventures, you get ethical dilemmas. Every once in a while, you get a more deep appreciation of a character. Um, but Deep Space Nine is almost nothing but deep appreciation for characters. Well, speaking about yeah. characters in this show versus other shows, uh, after Star Trek The Next Generation ended, uh, there's still like three or four seasons of Deep Space Nine to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, Commander Worf, uh, you know, after the events of you know, Star Trek Generations, which they mentioned in the episode he shows up in, he's a man without a ship. So uh, he eventually comes and joins the cast of Deep Space Nine as a regular. He, he's, he's, uh, their exe- he's the executive officer. He's the XO. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he went from being on an episodic show where, to be fair, most of the time he was kind of a punchline. Um, yeah. He becomes more or less. He get shut down by Picard. Yeah, where he's just kind of like, we should just shoot them, and that's like all he does. Um, he becomes, I don't want to say a real character because he, he, there is great Warp episodes in Next Gen. There are. But he becomes a much more multifaceted character now and gets to have more inter- interesting relationships with his crewmates rather than just being like, we work together and get along and just, you know. But they get into, they dig more into like why he's so different from other Klingons because he's so reserved and, and, and quiet and restrained. Whereas Klingons like feel their passions and are loud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, he was raised by Russians, so. I mean, that helps, which is a, yeah. which is a fun detail about what you don't, as, yeah, you don't get to talk about it all on Deep Space Nine, but. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah. That, it's because, you know, the Russians, and the, the, the Klingons in the original series, rather, were meant to be analogous to the Russians in the 1960s with the yeah. Cold War. So it's it's a fun that they since the idea was making be raised by humans, but they made him raised specifically by a Russian couple. Yeah, and it comes up every once in a while. Like he'll mention like Minsk and things. Yeah, um, you know they'll mention that their family name is Roshenko, so that kind of comes up every yeah. once in a while. Um, yeah, but Worf has is is great on D Space Nine. Um, you know, red red shirt Worf better than gold shirt Worf. I agree, and it's one of those things like you'd be afraid that like bringing in such a popular and well-established character from another show, like he kind of like maybe overshadow uh, the, the, the existing cast. He slots right in. I've, it's really uncanny in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause like, I can't imagine them doing that with like data and it working as well. Just do you know what no, I mean? I, don't, I can't yeah. imagine that data would, would have fit in well on. Yeah. I, I, uh, that's an interesting thought experiment. Who else could they have grabbed? Troy would have been interesting. It would have been nice to get some more depth on Troy. Yeah, it would have been nice right. just because we would she would be able to be a character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will As say her mom shows up a bunch in Deep Space Nine, and that's it is good. Yeah, she's actually good in it. <laughs> the, the the episodes for Luaxana on Deep Space Nine are the best Luaxana Troy episodes. In my opinion. I'm not going to argue on that. Not that I dislike her on TNG, but like... I like her on TNG. But her episodes kind of feel more like... relief there. Her episodes feel more like a chore. Like, oh, it's a Luxon episode. It's not going to be important. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas on Space 9 like, yeah, there's episodes with her, but there's usually something else going on in the background that pushes one of the main stories of the show forward. But like, even then, she's just fun to interact with these like more serious for lack of a better term characters um because they're able to, to like they're the characters on deep space nine have actual consequences for what they say and do because 
the next episode, someone's going to remember that they say, say and did that. Yeah. I, I actually think you bring up a really good point with that because, um, and, and this is another selling point for deep space nine is that there are actually consequences to what happens on the show. And, and you talk about characters and you have characters that, you know, go through this growth in the next generation and in and certainly in the the original series you kind of always just kind of got this feeling of it doesn't really matter what the crew is going to find their way out of this not that deep space nine is, and cut me off matt if i'm going anywhere too fast here not that deep space nine is a game of thrones or anything yeah. but there are definitely consequences there are consequences and things happen and you have to you know deal with that more than you have to do that in the next generation yeah, yeah. i will say without again trying to try to tiptoe around spoilers here but like yeah in in basically every other star trek you kind of that's where the, the joke with the red shirts come from it's like oh it's someone in a red shirt that means they're gonna die because they're not important main characters in this do not survive they're not get through situations unscathed and I'll, yeah, I'll yeah they that. don't they don't they're, they're yeah they're not it's not uh 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 again game of thrones slaughter them all but it's it's they're changed. They're fundamentally changed by the things that happen to them in ways that other shows don't. One of the jokes on our good friend Harry's podcast, Hailing Frequency, is at the end of the episode, sometimes you know, we'll, we'll just say, and it never came up again. Yeah. What's that? Starfleet Command's been taken over by insects? Never mentioned again. <laughs> What's that? A major scandal? It's not going to be brought back up. These characters that you think are huge and important just got introduced. We're never going to hear about them. Yeah. This show doesn't do that. It comes up again. Yeah, it, it doesn't again. forget it, things. You it, know? it follows through on the promises and the premises it lays out in an incredibly rewarding way. <laughs> Hello to your yeah. cat, Mike. Yes. For those of you who are the audio-only version, Mike's cat is, has decided to get into the conversation. I guess that's something that uh, TNG has over Deep Space Nine. There's no cat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spot, Spot yeah. is on TNG, and uh, there's no cat. There's no mm-hmm. pets. In a, uh, who, does anyone have a pet on Deep Space Nine? I don't think but, so. Because Janeway has dogs, but we don't... They got well, Archer, Archer has a dog that's like Archer has a dog ship, on yeah. the ship. Yeah, Porthos. Yeah. I was about to call him D'Artagnan. I, <laughs> I forgot what his name was for a second. But um, oh, there's a character uh, in Deep Space Nine. He's one of my favorites that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, General Martok. Oh, uh, Martok. We mentioned G.J. Hertzler earlier. Um, uh, he plays a, a Klingon general. I'm not going to mention the circumstances of him, but like one of my favorite Klingon characters, you know, obviously outside of Worf, everyone loves Worf. Um, like oh he's he he, he's another addition by he's another character that's kind of like a one-off but like becomes essentially a main cast member in the last two seasons in just about every episode yeah no i mean yeah again the 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 uh not to use a a a sports analogy but the the bench on this show is so deep that you know yeah, they they pull any recurring character out and they make it clear it's going to be about them. Where it's like, oh, Wayun, we got a Wayun episode. I want, I want Wayun. Uh, yeah, I haven't, want. We haven't talked too much about Wayun yet. Uh, just know he's uh, but we can't. Combs, he's great. Yeah. He shows up eventually. Jeffrey Combs plays another antagonist on the show. Brunt. Um, Brunt. I, I, I didn't, uh, Inspector Brunt. 
Um, I did not realize they were both played by him until the last episode when they were really? in it, and it, they had to give him two credits. I was like, oh my god, I did not realize that because they're so different. They're wildly yeah. different. Yeah, and they're, they're also different aliens, so they have completely different makeup. So he, he like looks like a different. He doesn't look like he has the same. Yeah. Um There is um, oh Jasper. I, I, I do want to make um, one comment about Deep Space Nine. The, the, the very end of the episode, one of the final scenes um, of the final episode, because um, I know we've been talking about all these characters, uh, takes place in a hollow suite. And I think it's one of the best scenes in Star Trek, or it's one of the best wink nod scenes in Star Trek, because you have all of those recurring characters outside of makeup um, in that mm-hmm. one yeah. particular scene. And I'm sure... Um, Scott and Matt, you know which one I'm talking yeah. about. I was actually yeah. wondering if you guys, because there's a lot of people in there. I was wondering if that's also like the writers and like producers and stuff. I imagine because there's a lot of. Extras. I think there are. I know I, Iris Stephen Bear is in that scene. Um, I, who, a lot who of sort them of shepherded had. the show through. Yeah. And that was the final scene that they shot. Um, unlike the Next Generation, although that was going straight into filming the movie Generation, so it's right. kind of like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Uh, this. <laughs> The show is over. I'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah precisely. Um, uh, this particular episode, that was, the, you know, the final scene. And so they, they were able to bring back um, all of those uh, characters and all of the, or all of the actors. And you kind of get like this great scene, yeah. of just all of them uh, outside of makeup and just all together. Um, yeah, they, they do bring in a couple of, like you mentioned, Laxwana, but, you know, if you're in the next generation, they do kind of, in the first season or season and a half, they, they do um, have uh, some next generation characters that they lean on, but then they just establish their um, all their own characters and they become yeah. so much better and so much more rewarding than, you know, Vax coming back up or something like that. Yeah. Uh- I think after, because after Next Generation ended, um, they Deep Space Nine now had sort of run of the galaxy, as it were, where they could do they could make big swings where things could happen on that show. Like there is stuff that happens on Deep Space Nine where if the Next Generation was still ongoing, you would have to ask yourself, where the heck is the Enterprise? Why are they not here? Where I was going to bring that up because in rewatching, I'm like, you know, it's really weird that they don't even give like lip service to the Enterprise or like those other characters existing a little because yeah. it was the, it's the flagship. I know because yeah. of generations, it's the Enterprise E. Yeah, uh, but like still because they use this the same uh, models, so you see like Galaxy class starships. It, it, you know. Yeah, every once in a while, floating yeah. by. Which is always um, weird because it's like, you because your brain's like, oh, it's the Enterprise, but it's not. It's just another of the same the, class of ship. There is an explanation for that in Star Trek Discovery. Oh, is there? Of all weird things. Yeah, they, yeah. Me- they say something very specific about the Enterprise as a concept that makes it make a lot more sense if this is actually been Starfleet policy for hundreds of years to do this with this particular ship um, that I will not go into with too much detail. But if you're, if, if, if you want to watch a completely different show, yeah. watch, uh, yeah, watch a completely different show. But uh, there is a reason why the Enterprise may not get involved and that they mention in this, the second season of Star Trek Discovery. Um, um, 
the one thing that I've always found kind of funny is that like Deep Space Nine keeps finding itself as the center of gravity for all of these situations. And yet, like as they kind of establish early on in the show and, you know, throughout the show, this is like the C cast. This is like the C group. This is not like the commander of the Enterprise. Yeah. This is not the captain of the Odyssey. And yet, you know, they're, they're in the making center of all these for the whole Federation. Unilaterally at times. Unilaterally. He yeah. is he is doing things that are a big right. deal. To, to yeah. be fair, he starts work. He, he does work very closely with like I forget, Admiral Ross. Admiral Ross. Ross. Yeah, the, yeah. The, he does Captain, have a lot of uh, right, Admiral uh, Belt Buckle. <laughs> yeah, which is nice to see an admiral that's not just like a crazy bad guy. Yeah, well, you got also got. I mean, uh, Nechev is in the early seasons of the show, that's and right. I'm, yeah. I, I I really like Nechev, uh, but I understand she had somewhat of an antagonistic relationship with the Enterprise and an antagonistic relationship with almost everyone. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> but I, I still like the character because she's she's just sort of she's the person that's there to remind everyone else. No, you're the the, the military has a chain of command. Yeah, you don't just get to decide who we're at war with because you're on a ship. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But Ross is is another another great character that just sort of is is gets to pop in and pop out. Um. But yeah, and and at uh, here's a question I, I would ask you because I frequently when it comes to Star Trek shows when someone's like how do I you know how, how do I get into Star Trek I usually don't recommend that they start with like the next generation if someone's like how do I get into them I'm, I'm considering watching the next generation with all due respect to uh, Ensign Harry I wouldn't say start with Encounter at Farpoint I would uh, I would recommend a much later Bad. Yeah, I would I would recommend a much later episode on that show. There's a lot of shows where I would say, well, watch this episode and this episode and see if you like it. And if you do, you can start from this season or, you know, here, there, Parks and Recreation, the, um, Second Two, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I usually say, tell people, like, don't watch the original series. If you want to watch that, it's got to have the caveat, like, remember, it was made in the 60s, and then I would still say cherry pick it. Yeah. Um, TNG is probably a good place to start, but again, I would cherry pick it. I'd maybe start with like Measure of a Man, which is like I think the first great yeah. episode, um, and it also helps you establish a lot of the the main characters and their relationships mm-hmm. with each other. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I the, the, there's a lot of great episodes of TNG that aren't like necessarily like classics. Right. Um, but that, that first season's bad and kind of pointless. Like nothing in it really comes back. Um. Right, but if we're trying to pitch Deep Space Nine to all of the lovely listeners out there who want to start watching Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it might be the only show, the only Star Trek show where I say you, you start from the beginning. Yeah. There's a couple of season one episodes you can skip. You can skip the Come Along Home. You can skip the one where they meet uh, Rumpelstiltskin. I love Come Along Home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, After, but like those oh, right, are the only right. two episodes I think you can kind of like pull out. Because you can't even pull out the Q one because that introduces Grand Nagus Zek. Right, yeah. yeah. The, the Nagus. No, you can't. You, know? you can't. Otherwise, there's, there's always something that becomes important even if it doesn't seem like it is for a bit. Um, I know you, guys, you mentioned Iris Stephen Bear uh, you know, a couple of conversations ago. Did you guys watch the uh, documentary What We Leave Behind? Yeah, I actually haven't. 
Yeah, I, I haven't it, either. I backed it on Indiegogo, so I have it on uh, Blu-ray. Um, it's good. I think it's if unless you're like intimately familiar with the show, is it's almost all just fan service right, to fans of the show. So a lot well, of then I would like it. it. Yeah, a lot of stuff in it they probably won't do. But the the most interesting thing is he brings back um, his writing crew to write uh, a first episode for a potential new season. Oh, wow. Not a reboot, but like if they were to do a new season like now. So the characters have aged up, you know, like 20 years or whatever it had been. Um, that. that was kind of the, I wanted to see that. So that's why I backed it to begin with. Just, you know, for other reasons too. But like, it's like, ooh, I'm compelled to see that. And it's it's... It's worth watching for that alone, but they talk about a lot of the stuff that we talked about too. Um, obviously, with more detail because they uh, made it. And um, and they're talking to people who have seen the whole show. Hopefully, yeah. if you're watching the documentary, it's also the only footage in HD of Deep Space Nine because they've never remastered it uh, in HD for anything. Yeah, which, which is, is very apparent when you watch it yeah. <laughs> on Netflix. The Deep Space Nine does not look as as crisp or clear as. Uh, 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 next generation does which is very disappointing because i i yeah. i like I, I mentioned at the top of the show uh by a country mile this is my favorite star trek show mm-hmm. it's the mm-hmm. one i'm most compelled to rewatch. it's it's just the one i one i think that in general has the most to talk about we're talking about this thing for like an hour and a half and we've gone into no real details yeah like basically any of these characters or any of these things that sound mildly interesting we could yeah. do a whole episode on um i had before the show multiple I before the show, we I mentioned eight, uh, seven characters that we could spend yeah. an hour and a half on a piece. Yeah, yeah each easily. Before we started recording this episode, I was mentioning, uh, you know, just in general chit chat as a sister series to Hailing Frequencies. What might be fun to do is just occasionally on on our show Level Up and Friends here, we talk about different things every week, but occasionally going back to the well for Deep Space Nine specifically, we're like, all right, Deep Space Nine season one, we'll just talk about the season overall. The things that happened in it and like our favorite episodes and whatnot rather than going episode by episode yeah um, that might be a i would love to do like let's just talk about bashir's arc from the start of the show to the end of the show yeah or we let's do talk like about that. yeah yeah so i think something like that would be more fun and then obviously the caveat on that would be that this is kind of like our pitch to you for the show and then those episodes would be more like hey you've watched this now let's talk about it now let's talk about it um, yeah. And you should, if you you should watch it. If you are if you are listening to this, or you can see my steely glaze, you should yeah. watch Deep Space Nine. I would uh, say even if you're not super into Star Trek, or you like maybe you watch some Next Gen, like wasn't that into it, but like you're into general sci-fi, or like I said, this mm-hmm. is a really good show to binge um, if you're still stuck at home for whatever reason. Um, there's a lot to to, to keep. To, there's a lot for your brain in it. A lot of heady stuff. There's a lot of funny stuff too. Um, there's an episode where like a bunch of the characters just go on vacation and they just have to deal with like their personalities there. And uh, someone's a big party pooper. Yeah. Someone's a big party pooper. Uh, if we, if you paid attention to any of the characters we talked about, you might be able to pick up on one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, there's an episode. We, again, we talked about it last week. We talked about baseball for a thousand hours. Um, we, I mentioned, you know, yeah. to, to segue into, Hey, we're talking about Deep Space Nine next week. It's like, you know, there's an episode where they, play baseball we could talk about just cisco and his uh love of baseball which is the, the thing that symbolism of that baseball that he yeah, keeps he on his desk over the desk course of the whole show the whole show yeah. but like buck bakai yeah. we could spend an hour talking about buck bakai and his yeah. uh that just sounded like i was being a chicken uh, yeah. <laughs> uh 
but no. Uh, have uh, you seen the chicken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a show that's that's rich and layered, and it, it's yeah. it's so much fun to yeah. to go through. And there's there's some episodes. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's all dark and heady because it's 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 really not. But there's some episodes that are like uh, so deep, and I'm sure you can all jump right to the one I'm thinking of, and I don't even have to really say what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Captain's log. Yeah, the Captain's Log episode. Oh my yeah. God! Yeah, we were talking about Batman earlier in the uh, oh, maybe before we recorded. We were talking about Batman um, yeah. earlier in the evening. It's a line from uh, Batman. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We were, we were chit chatting a little bit just uh, while we we're waiting for everyone to, to to get ready for the podcast. Um, yeah, you want to know if that was the only episode of the show that I could watch, I could live with it. <laughs> But it's also, it, it kind of, it's not really a standalone episode, but like you can kind of watch it as its own because it's got its own beginning, middle, it, and end that's satisfying to, to watch as well. It's almost like a mini movie in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, if you, if you haven't already seen the entire series, I wouldn't just watch that episode. No, don't, no, don't, no, don't no, go no, straight no, to it. Just watch no. that episode. No. But, um, you gotta, you, can, you gotta have some build up on those characters. It on its, own. it's not going to have the impact that it needs to have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's there's so much good stuff. There's even little runners like uh, Quark mentions his cousin Gala a whole bunch, and how he owns yeah. a starship. Like, oh, our cousin Gala sells moons. I should have gone to weapons like him. But then yeah. that character eventually shows up and becomes like an extremely minor reoccurring character. But like, he was kind of set up as a joke. Like everything. Uh, it's so uh, there's so much to talk about. I, I want to get into more detail. It, we talk it, about it, how how they drink Ractagino, which is a Klingon coffee. That's the only time and you never it. see the Klingons drink it. Yeah, I noticed that. The 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 the, the Cardassians drink a red tea, a red leaf tea, mm-hmm. um, which Garrick mentions one time is like, on a repl- um, he's on using a Federation replicator. He's like, man, I meet this Earl Grey fellow and tell him a thing or two about tea, which is, sort of a joke, <laughs> which is obviously a joke about TNG. Yeah, because that's what Picard drinks. Tea, Earl Grey. Like, there's there's so much fun stuff in it that like I I. Would love to do a follow-up episode or episodes where we can talk into detail. I would and, love to do that. Yeah, and, and and you know a little bit about how the sausage is made here. There was supposed to be a lot more uh, guests on this episode, but some people had to drop out last minute for one reason or another. So it give yeah. more people an opportunity. And there's a lot of shows called Love, Up and Friends. We have a lot of friends that are into Star Trek that I have not had on. Um, I've had you guys on because of our our experiences with hailing frequency so i knew we would be able to personality because the first episode was like well i want to make sure we have people i know personality wise we'll be able to deal with this and i wanted to have you guys on this one specifically because of our experience with hailing frequencies it's become a running joke on that that we always always talk <laughs> always about. bring up do space nine no matter what the episode is Take well, shot. because the episode like harry will be talking about, like oh i really like this political intrigue in this i'm like oh you gotta watch you say something because that's all that that show is yeah um, i mean and and that, that I, it really represents so much of what I watch Star Trek for. Yeah, me too. Is 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 just Deep Space Nine is drenched in it. I I will say I, I was going to make this point at the very end of the sh- at the very beginning of the show, but if there's anybody s- still listening, um, th- there's a, 
Um, if there's one um, minor thing I would take away from it in regard in comparison to the next generation, while I think this show is certainly more interesting on a geopolitical economic thing, it is a little less sciencey than the next generation and Voyager is. I mean, while it certainly does have that science aspect, yeah. like the, you talked about the great heights, the great heights are in the shows like duet and, um, waltz and like the um the back and forth around what morality and not only doing the right Hell thing moonlight right Gardam, uh sound like gas uh yeah. far beyond the stars far beyond the stars we could talk we could talk for two hours but, about far beyond the stars but we, yeah. but we what we don't have are those cause and effect episodes we don't have yeah like, you, don't you would never see enough. Um, uh, all, all good things the final episode of the next generation you'll never see an episode like that in I mean, to be fair, there time. are some episodes like that. I can think of a couple right now, but I, if I were trying to explain to you, I would spoil the whole episode. But um, <laughs> there are some, but I guess maybe that's something with this show because it was on uh, simultaneously with The Next Generation and Voyager, and both of yes. those shows dealt with those more of those classic Trek styles episodes. That? Like maybe yeah. was, you can look at this as more of like, uh, if you're more into that, you can look at this more complimentary to those episodes. Yes. No, I completely agree with that. I'm because this is certainly more the geopolitical, um, you know, world building uh, show within the Star Trek universe. And yeah, this is the one that makes the the Alpha Quadrant feel more crowded in a way. Where, but it makes it feel like, yeah, you have like you, you know, the, like oh yeah, occasionally like Picard runs into the Romulans, but like now I have to consistently have to deal with like the idea of them floating around. Um, right for one reason or another. So we talked for almost two hours now. We haven't even mentioned what's on the other side of the wormhole. <laughs> we haven't even uh, mentioned, mentioned any, stars yeah, for people to trek yeah, to. We haven't mentioned any of that. We haven't mentioned any of uh, Deep Space Nine's uh, spaceships uh, or, or any of the things that they do. Um, well, we Scott, you're just going to have to do another episode. I know. So you're just going to have to do another there. episode, Scott. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't I make the do rules, it. Scott. Yeah. You're just going to have to do another episode. No, that, I'm totally fine with that. I want to... Star Trek's the thing I can't... The nerdiest thing I like to talk about all the time. It's, it's the easiest way to, to kind of endear yourself to me if you come into the store. You're like, hey, did you see that episode? What did you think about that episode where this happens? And I'll have a strong opinion one way or the other on it. <laughs> um, like, we, like, I was debating whether or not... because. Uh, since our last episode when we talked about the CBS All Access shows, the full trailers and stuff came out for Below Decks. But I was like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to necessarily bring that up, at least not at the top of the episode. I wanted, because there's a lot to talk about in Deep Space Nine, and we were supposed to have like six people on. Um, so I was like, I don't want to just blast through it. But like, can you imagine how long this episode would have been if you had to give six people the that's why same I was, amount I was of time to talk about these issues? That's why I specifically wasn't going to try to get in like specific episodes, because I was like, yeah. We'll get lost. Just, I mean, yeah. Um, I, gosh, yeah. Yeah, you just gotta do more, Scott. Sorry. Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna do more. Um, I'll leave that up to the listeners. Oh, no. How I want to do it. We could do it character arc wise. We could do seasons. Um, or we can just come back and just do a rambling free form free for all. Yeah. Get in the comments, people. Go. Get in the comments. Leave a review. Yeah, send me a message uh, to contact Star me. something, email something. Yeah. I'm sorry, say it again. I talked over you. No, leave a comment. Uh, this should be on Facebook and YouTube, at least. Those have comments. Um, all of our audio things, you're just going to have to send me an email at contact at levelupentertainment.com. 
um, which is also uh, where you can send us suggestions for future episodes. I've got the next month or so relatively planned out. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm free for, uh, you know, all, any kinds of suggestions. Um, there's lots of lots and lots of things that we want to talk about. And I've been host of every episode, but this is set up that any of us at the store can do. Um, so basically any subjects can be on the table because one of us has something to say about everything. Um, I'm sometimes surprised me. Like last week we talked about baseball, which my joke was like, I'm going to be on this one just to hit record. But I had a surprisingly large amount of things to say in that. And like, that was, I'd argue probably my favorite episode we've done so far. Um, hopefully through the, the listening part. Um, I hope, I hope people enjoyed that. I hope people enjoy this one. I love talking about Deep Space Nine, so I've enjoyed this one so far. The proof's going to be in the pudding, whether it, uh, once I put it out there and see how the, the reaction is. But I don't care. I do this show for my own amusement. If people like it, all the better. Um, but I guess that kind of sounds like we're wrapping up a little bit. Um, unless there's anything, final thoughts on Deep Space Nine you guys would like to give uh, the fine folks at home. Yeah, just one more apology to Max Grodenchik for saying he was dead when he's alive. Yeah, it was Aaron Eisenberg. Yeah, Max <laughs> Grodenchik is, uh, is wrong. Rest in peace, Aaron Eisenberg. Congratulations on still being alive, Max Grodenchik. Yeah. Final thought. Oh, boy, I don't know how I can top that. Um, watch Deep Space <laughs> yeah. Nine. Watch Deep Space Nine! Yes. I know I know it's not about a starship going where no man's gone before, but I, I think it's that's one of its strengths for it's it's trying to tell a different kind of story. Yeah. And I think it I think it's some of the most compelling science fiction television I've ever watched. It goes where no Star Trek show has gone before. Oh, well, it's not where no man has thing. gone before. I think that's the below decks uh tagline, isn't it? Oh it might be. That might be yeah, in my but, head for that reason. Whatever, real quick. Cause I just talk. stole it from Stunt Below Deck, yeah. so I don't know. Let's move on. Say real quick, because I'm sure people are going to ask opinions on it. I think that show looks like crap. Oh. Um, I'm intrigued. I'm willing to give it a shot. I've, willing, I've given everything else a shot. I'd give it a shot if I didn't have to pay for the privilege. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I would that's watch opinion. it. I will watch it when Discovery or Picard comes around next and I have the subscription and I can watch and I have access to those episodes. I'm not going to pay $5 a month to watch it though. Yeah. I, it looks like all of the generic tropes that you get in every modern animated show. And it's just like, it just happens to be set in Star Trek. I'm like, I don't care. Um, that's my opinion. I don't like anything that's new apparently. Um, <laughs> That's perfectly fine. A lot of new things are terrible. <laughs> but um, I guess with that, we'll, we'll, we'll sign off. Um, um, you know, uh, you guys have any uh, social media you want to plug? I think I know what you're going to hit the, say, though. I yeah. just listened to our episodes of Hailing Frequencies. It's uh, on all yeah, the Hailing frequencies. Of, uh, podcasts. Um, we have a special video one we shot earlier this year uh, that's on our YouTube channel. Oh. Uh, Level Up's YouTube channel. He did it. Well, we recorded it for, oh, right. for, for Free for Comic Day Online. I don't remember what episode it was because I was on it. Becca and Greg were on that, who were slated to join us today, but couldn't for various reasons. You know, Greg's got a new baby at home. Uh, Becca just worked uh, a, whole, a whole day at the store and was like, I'm too tired. And I just want to uh, spend the evening with her husband and be you know nice and quiet. But uh, yeah, uh, follow us. Uh, we're at levelupentertainment.com. Uh, we got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that shit. Um, oh, I cursed the first time this episode. Oh, well. Ah, um, uh, well. Uh, you know, for us, the, the 
the, you know, the, the, the podcast. If you liked it, give it a thumbs up, give it a good review, share it, tell your friends about it. Um, if you've got an episode you would like us, that topic you'd like us to cover, let me know. Um, either send us a message on all those social media platforms or just email us at contact at levelupentertainment.com or me specifically, scott at levelupentertainment.com. That's my direct work email. Um, uh, you can let us know. Um, like I said, I don't host everyone, but I kind of have been like facilitating like who's doing what and when we're recording. Um, if you've got a, a, if you've got a good enough pitch for me, I could bring you on an episode. I'm not opposed to that. Um, I'll have to talk to you ahead of time. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I guess that's it for this episode. Next, our schedule for next week, I'm recording two episodes back to back this weekend. Um, because uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a special, it's our 13th anniversary as a store. Mm. So we're going to do a special level up retrospective uh, podcast where me, all, all the current employees uh, are, are going to be on. I may have a couple special guests or two to bring on, but so we're going to talk about the, the, the genesis of the, the store. We're going to talk about some of our favorite stories um, throughout the, the, the 13 years. Um, but I also want to, if you guys have questions for us, um, please let us know. Um, if I get some good ones, we'll bring it up during the show and uh, hopefully we'll, you know, you'll find the answer satisfactory. Um, but next week, we're going to be talking about the Super Nintendo. Some of Whoa. our favorite some underrated gems or games people might not uh, appreciate as much as we might. Um, the Super Nintendo Deep Space Nine game is super fun. Really? I played the Genesis one and it's terrible. No, the, uh, there might the be a Super Nintendo one was pretty good. Back Almost when I streamed that a million years ago at the store, um, that might there be was, buried on our YouTube channel somewhere. There um, was a Deep Space Nine video game for Super Nintendo? I, I said, was. I played the Genesis version. It's bad. Yeah, um, you, you okay, then. Odo turned into a rat. It was fun. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that whets your appetite sufficiently for the next episode. But until then, guys, be safe out there. <laughs>